Blog Talk Radio. All right, let's get us a songbook and let's stand together. It's good to be with you tonight in church, I'll say that for sure. Amen. Get my songbook out. We're going to turn to number 53, if you want to go ahead and turn there, number 53. When I survey the wondrous cross, and we'll, since, since Robert ain't here tonight, we'll just, we'll just do with the offering like we did before. If you got some offering tonight, just bring it up here during the song. If you got some, if you don't, you're going to do it later. After we get done tonight, you can do that too. That'll work too. Let's sing, number 53. Prayer when we when we yoke together in prayer and we agree 
we come together and we agree about something and uh, we're asking him in the name of his son and it's in his will, we need to look for it to be done. God answers prayer in his will according to the name of his son and asking in his name. So we got requests tonight. We need to bring them before the Lord. Amen. I know we need to pray for Dan. I know Dan, he went to the hospital yesterday and he's okay now, but I but uh, I don't want to say you have to go back and do that again, amen. So, so stay out of stay out of what you don't need to be. <laughs> don't get in the middle of nothing that's going to overheat you and hurt you. But uh, I'm glad you're okay, brother. Sure, glad you're okay. Uh, anybody else? Prayer request? Yes, Miss Charlotte. She what? Okay, did they, did they, they've got her bleeding stopped, though, that, that she had. So are they not sure? Okay. All right. She has a large new Huh? She has a large new Okay. Yeah, okay. And she paid her pound. She got a problem with her youngest son, Jody. Okay. All right. Well, I know Jody. I pray for Jody. I pray for her and Jody. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, huh? Joanne. Yeah, Joanne, absolutely. Yeah, she's at home tonight. And I, I didn't totally get all of what Robert said to me, and I probably probably because I, I was doing something while he was talking, but he, she she had an allergic reaction to something. And wasn't feeling right, so they didn't feel like she needed to come tonight. So, I, and I told him, I said, "Well, stay home, get feeling better." So, pray for her, and um, y'all, please pray for me. As we're, like I said, I'm getting ready to preach revival meeting. I'll be here this Sunday, but then the following Sunday, I'll be going down there. So, and uh, Brother Lucas will be here preaching that Sunday in my place. So, pray for him too, and uh, pray that God will use me. I really want to see people. I want to see tremendous things happen in this revival meeting. And I'll just kind of tell you, it's my my pastor, my friend, Pastor Chad Long at New at uh, Delhi Baptist Church. They and about three other three other churches have come together to help with this revival, and they're having it across the road at the Volunteer Fire Department because it's a great big building. And so we're going to have like three or four churches bringing in people and and them coming together. So and it's myself. I'll be preaching. There's a uh, singing family coming. It's going to be singing, and then there's and then Dr. David Shepherd, who I who I hear every year when I go down to Mansfield, he's going to be there preaching. And so it should be something else if we, you know, if God gets in the middle of it. I just I look for Him to do powerful things. So y'all please be in prayer with me because I want to see God move. I really want to see God do some things and uh, and see some people get saved. I want to come out of there joyful and charged up again. It'll renew me and recharge me. So y'all please pray. God works and uses me in that meeting. All right. Anything else from anybody else before we go to the Lord? Scott, lift Scott up in prayer tonight. Miss Nell, lift her up in prayer as well. Um, lift, lift, lift his dad up in prayer. Lift Rick Siegfried in, in, in prayer. And um, anybody else? In your foot. All right. Pray for you too, your foot. Okay, mom's unspoken. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask God to deal with all these things. He knows all about it. So, Richard, lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, look in front of you right now. Uh, Lord, we uh, just ask that you be in our presence and 
move, and especially when Father Mia, I look at the prayer requests I keep, Father Mia, where you know what they are and you know what the needs are. Father, God, just bless this time now. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. Amen. Ah! 
Praise God. Turn to number 468. 468. Without him. 468. I'll say 
You know, I'll never get tired of these. Amen. I like these songs about being saved. I like these songs about going to heaven. They, they, they're comforting. They're, they remind me this world ain't my home. Praise God. It's like a, like the old song says, I'm just passing through. Praise God. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Amen. I'm glad this ain't all there is. You know, like Paul said, all we have is, is, is hope in Christ in this life. We're of all men most miserable. Amen. But thank God, our hope doesn't just in, in just in this world. It's in the world to come. And praise God, that world's getting closer all the time. Things is getting right for the Lord's return. I'm telling you, things are getting really right for the Lord's return. Uh, it's just like I don't know. I just I see more and more every day. It just makes hair stand up on my head. 
uh, me and Richard were talking the other day. We were talking about the, you were talking about the Dead Sea, and I got to looking in what you were saying. All around the Dead Sea, there are these little sinkholes that are starting to come up, and and or I guess I say so come up, they start to sink down. But anyway, but fresh water is coming up through the sinkholes, and life is starting to appear in those holes where those sinkholes are coming up. Fresh water is flowing into the Dead Sea. And that's fulfilling a prophecy with an Ezekiel thirty-seven, thirty-eight. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we got a minute. Let me just read this to you. Ezekiel. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Thirty-seven or forty-seven, brother. I ain't no forty-seven, is there? Yeah, there is too. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember where. Is, Okay, it's 47. It is. Afterward, he brought me again to the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the east stood toward the uh, front of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without under the utter gate by the way of the that looketh eastward, and behold, there ran out waters at the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were, the, were to the ankles, and he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters to the knees. And again, he measured a thousand, and he brought me through, and the waters to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, and waters to swim in, a river that no one could not be passed over. Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river, now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed, and it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whether the river cometh. Now, again, ain't no river there yet, but there's things happening. And, again, I can read on down there. It's going to talk about how, how it's going to be someday. It's going to be where the, all the living, all the fish that, that you can find will be found in that in that sea. And on banks, all the fruits and vegetables and things you could ever imagine will be grown on those banks. And that makes sense because you're talking about a dead sea where all those mineral deposits are and the fresh water and all those minerals, my goodness, it would be like, Growing, growing things in Alaska are better. So, and again, don't know that that's exactly what we're seeing happening. But there ain't never been no fresh water in the Dead Sea. There's something happening. Hey, I, 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 far be it for me to say that's the fulfillment of this prophecy. But there's a whole lot of other people smarter than me trying to figure this out too. And and anyway, I just thought I'd throw that at you. It's, there's, there's all. I mean, the Euphrates River's drying up. Okay, there's supposed to be a what a how many million men from China army march across that thing. Can't remember now. It's, it's several hundred million. I believe it's like 200 or 500 million. Some men gonna march across the Euphrates River toward Israel. Uh, you've got uh, what else am I thinking of? Something else has just happened recently. Well, you got the covenant that's fixing to be signed uh, in the UN a peace treaty. There's too many things going on. Scary, scary things for this world. Uh, you got digital currency fixing to come in. The dollar's fixing to be done away with. That's fixing to happen real soon. They've been meeting about that. 
You don't read about that in the news, in the newspaper, or hear about that on the news, because they don't want to scare and freak everybody out, but it's going on. Uh, America's in the dark. Media here in America only tell you what they want you to know, but the rest of the world knows what's going on. Anyway, let's get into our message tonight. All I said, I've said all that to say, you better get to looking up because your redemption draws nigh. Amen? That's all I'm saying. Proverbs 18 tonight, verses 13 through 18. We're going to look at six verses of Scripture. Proverbs 18, 13 through 18. Got a lot of good stuff in here tonight, so I'm looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to meet with us tonight. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you, Father, for being so good to us and merciful to us. We don't deserve it. It's only because we're washed in the blood of your Son, and when you look down, you see his righteousness when you look at us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that when you looked at him on the cross, you saw my sin, and I don't have to pay for it. He paid for it for me. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for paying my debt. Lord, I pray tonight, Holy Spirit of God, that lives in me and lives in these believers and lives in those who are saved or listening in tonight. Lord, I pray you'd stir us up afresh, stir us up, renew us with the word of God, give us truth that we can use and help other people and ourselves. Lord God, we just pray that tonight you just meet with us in a very real way, answer our prayers tonight, and renew our renew our spirit within us, Lord, and restore us, Lord, to what we ought to be. We ask you, please, to meet with us now in a very real way. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. All right, I'm in Ezekiel. Let me get back over there to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. Beginning in verse 13 tonight, we'll go down through verse 18. It says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame unto him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have a bad habit. I'm preaching to myself right here. I have a bad habit, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My wife ain't here tonight, and she and she, she would probably be making faces at me about now. Because I have a bad habit, and I'm just going to confess my sin to y'all. Uh, the Bible says confess your faults one to another. You may be healed, all right? So I'm going to confess that sometimes when she's talking, I know what she's going to say before she finishes, so I cut her off with the answer. And she don't like that. I don't know if anybody else in here ever had that happen to you, but I have a tendency to know what you're talking about and go ahead and start talking about what you're going to say before you say it. And, 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 and it tends to make her mad because it's like, you didn't let me finish. And, you know, she wanted to get out what she had to say, and then I usually end up paying for it by listening to her tell me something even longer than she was going to tell me otherwise. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the Bible said he that answers the matter before he heareth it. It's, a folly, it's folly and a shame unto him. And I guess it has been a shame unto me because I've gotten lectured plenty about it. But uh, but anyway, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, uh, like I said, many times we, we give answers to questions and problems that are quick and impulsive. And I'm not talking about cutting them off before they finish. I'm saying, you know, we just want to answer somebody quickly with a quick answer, uh, something just off the cuff, rather than really taking in what they said and thinking about it. We're quick to just give a dismissive answer. And uh, we respond to people sometimes without thinking or without hearing the full story and without knowing all the details. And, and, and sometimes we're really more interested in what we hope to say than, what, than the person that's talking to us and what they're really saying to us. We're, we, we, I know everybody in here says that. You think, I got a brilliant answer. I can't wait to tell you this so you quit talking to me. <laughs> Have you ever been there? 
I ain't gonna lie, I have. Couldn't wait to tell somebody because I had the perfect thing to say, you know, and I didn't hear a word they said because I had focused. I'm really gonna say this in a minute, and I, that ain't the way to do it. And and let me just say to you right now, this is this is, this is a snare of the self-important. We can get self-important, and we feel like we know more than we do, and we start giving advice that really isn't warranted. And I tell you, you know, somebody that really falls into this is the keyboard warrior. You know, that's the person that likes to get on social media and wants to straighten everybody out. And, you know, I mean, I, and I, they, uh, people call them Karens, uh, and, and there's male versions of Karens. I don't know what they're called, but it's those people that just want to sit and tell everybody how to live all the time. And, and there's plenty of people on there like that, and there's plenty of people in real life like that. And, uh, you know, and God's telling us that that's just not the best way to be. It's a whole lot better to, to keep your mouth shut and think things through and give a wise answer uh, because, again, the second half of this verse tells us that it's a folly and a shame unto the person that's being that way. So to whatever extent we're guilty of doing this, it's foolish and shameful. It's foolish because we're most likely to come up with a wrong answer because we're just giving something quick. And it's a shame because we make ourselves look bad in the process. So it's foolish and a shame. And, and boy, you see this stuff all over the political talk shows. That's really where I see it a lot. Somebody's trying to talk. Somebody's just talking over the top of them the whole time. They can't even get their point out. They're not really interested in what that person's saying. They just want to get their viewpoint. They don't care about the whole conversation. It's just I want to sound more important and be louder and shout you down and get my point across last. And uh, they're constantly speaking over each other. And, and, again, they give their whole opinion before they hear this whole statement by the other party. They express their opinion before they hear the whole matter. And it's absurd, it's stupid, and it's foolish. But it's the day and hour we're living in with people who become their own idol. They worship their self. They become their own gods and they're fools. And that's, again, that's the hour we're living in. We're living in an hour surrounded by a fool who think they're their own little little G-gods. Um, so God help them. I pray for them, but I think some of them is too late for them. Verse 14. Verse 14. The Bible says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? That's what we were talking about Diane earlier. I, I got to think about that when you were saying, because, that's what this Bible verse says. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. So, you know, people who go through a long, lengthy illness, they give testimony a lot of times that if it hadn't been for the Lord, you know, they wouldn't have made it. It was only the Lord that pulled them through that. So the strength of their body may have been long gone, but it's only God's mercy and grace that caused them to endure. You know, one thing we, we, we need to remember is the Holy Spirit of God doesn't minister to our flesh necessarily. He ministers to our spirit. And, and, and it's the spirit that matters. And, and it reminds me of a verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Jesus said, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit continues to be willing long after the flesh is give up. Uh, so we need to remember, when, when, when somebody has got a lot of get up and go, what do we say? Man, they got some spirit about them, don't they? Got a lot of pep to them. Got some spirit. <clears throat> what we're saying is we know that they're not going to let minor obstacles stop them and get in their way. Uh, English theologian Charles Bridges, he said, outward troubles are bearable, 
yet more than bearable if there's peace on the inside. You can go through a lot of things you don't think you can go through if you've got peace with God. I can tell you right now, I'd have come apart a long time ago. I'd have come apart like a cardboard box if it hadn't been for the Lord Jesus in my life. Things that I have lived through, the tragedies that have befell me in my life, and I'm not saying mine are greater than yours. I'm not trying to compare, get in a, get in a spitting contest with nobody, but what I'm trying to tell you is as far as my own personal life, I've had things that have happened to me that absolutely devastated me, and, and if it hadn't been for God's grace, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have kept going. I'd have gave up the ministry. I'd have turned back to the world and done whatever I, I could to drown my sorrows, but I didn't do that. I knew that God didn't. I, I kept telling myself this. I kept saying, God didn't bring me this far to leave me now. I know that God has not brought me through all those things that he's brought me through and let me fall flat on my face and get me back up and let me get going good and going through something, and then i got to go through a hard trial. And, and, and he's worked through me, worked with me, and built me up. And he didn't bring me all this far to say, okay, I'm done with it. it. My spirit in me said, I know I have a relationship with the almighty, holy God that loves me and I'm his child, and he don't throw me down like a piece of trash, and I know that, and this too shall pass. So my spirit kept me going in the middle of all the tragedy, in the middle of all the times of doubt, in the midst of all the satanic attacks, in the middle of times when I didn't know my I didn't know if I was gonna make it the morning, God got me through it. God sent people to lift me up. He 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 brought just blessings into my life. God's good. I, I, I can't brag on God enough. God's good and he took me through all those things. Uh you know the last part of that verse though it says a wounded spirit who can bear? When a person's spirit gets broken, instead of giving life, it proves to be something few people can bear. When somebody's physically sick, they have to have the will to live to help them survive. But when somebody's spirit gets wounded, meaning they get depressed and they give up, their physical strength can't carry their spirit. Your spirit's what carries your body. Somebody be laying there just totally wasted away, but they say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I know God's going to get me through it. I mean, they'll, they'll believe, and, and it's that that pulls them through that illness. They're trusting their eye on God or somebody give up. Somebody somebody be perfectly healthy and give up on life and waste away and die. I've seen that happen to people. They just give up on living, and they die. Spurgeon talked about being depressed. You talk about somebody who went through it. Spurgeon, he 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 had illnesses his whole life. He'd go down to Mentone, France, to these uh, health spas and try to get healthy. It was times he had to step out of the pulpit for times because of his illness. I read somewhere somebody told me. I think it was Brother Charlie Warren told me that that he used to he preach on Sunday and he'd go to bed Sunday night and he wouldn't wake up till Tuesday morning. He'd sleep all the way through Monday just trying to rest and get his body back in, in, in shape. But he, here's what he said. He said, there are some who have been greatly wounded, no doubt, through sickness. A wounded spirit may be the result of diseases, which seriously shake the nervous system. Let us be very tender with brethren and sisters who got into that condition. I have heard some say rather unkindly, sister so-and-so is so nervous we can hardly speak in her presence. Yes, but talking like that will not help her. There are many persons who've had this kind of this trying kind of nervousness, nervousness greatly aggravated by the unkindness 
or thoughtlessness of friends. It's a real disease. It's not imaginary. Imagination, no doubt, contributes to it and increases it, but still there's a reality about it. There are some forms of physical disorder in which a person lying in bed feels great pain through another person simply walking across the room. Oh, you say, that's more imagination. So, well, you may think so if you like, but if you're ever in that painful condition, as I have been many a time, I'll warrant you that you'll not talk in that fashion again. So he understood what it was like to be depressed. He knew what it was like to be under attack. He knew what it was like to be down and, and be so aggravated he couldn't stand for nobody to be around him. And he's saying, if you ain't been there, don't pick on people that are there because you have no idea. Amen? Uh, listen, when somebody's down there, you want to encourage them. You want to keep their spirit up, not beat them down. Amen? Don't kick somebody when they're down like that. Amen? That ain't Christ-like at all. And, and what is the answer to all that? Well, it's easy. It's, you know, it's, it's not a pill. It's First Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. God's shoulders are bigger than ours. God can handle things we can't handle. There are times when I didn't even know how to give those things to him. And I just have to say, Lord, I don't know how to do it. You have to take it. I'm willing to give it to you, but I don't know how to let go. I don't even know what to do with it. So you're going to have to take it. And, you know, once I gave him permission to take it, he'd take it. But, again, don't give up on God. That's the key to it. Don't give up on God. You, you can give up on you, but don't give up on God. Verse 15, the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Amen. We're all about It's all about getting that knowledge and receiving that knowledge. So the heart of the prudent uh, getteth knowledge. The prudent man, that's the wise man. Prudent man is careful in his actions, is careful in his choices, his decision-making. And he's, he's the wise man who's either learned from experience, made the wrong choice, and I ain't doing that again. Amen? You know, I mean, I remember the first time I touched an electric fence. I thought, boy, I'll never try that again. Amen? <laughs> then my daddy grabbed my hand and grabbed the electric fence the next time. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. But, you know, there's some things you learn. Like I touched that hot stove or, like I said before, eating a green persimmon. You just, there's certain things you don't do twice if you can help it. Amen? And so, you know, you either learn by experience or you learn by the Word of God that this world contains lots and lots of foolishness. And and the wise man or the prudent man has ceased in looking for it there. Yeah. Think about this, how dumb we are. You ever, you ever couldn't sleep? You've been up, you're like, I'm hungry. You go there and open the refrigerator, you know, it's better Crack while you're looking in the refrigerator. Ain't nothing in there. You go back to sit down. An hour later, you get up. You go back and look at the same refrigerator. You ever done that? Yeah. There ain't nothing in there. Ain't nothing. Nobody put anything since the last time you was in there. But uh, but anyway, you got to be smart enough. No, if you can't find it in there, you're not gonna find it in there a second time. Okay. And most people got enough sense when they go off looking in the world trying to find happiness and peace and all the things it gives them. When they learn, hey, I Amen. Yeah, listen, remember you sweep that house clean of demons. Guess what? When when they don't when you don't put nothing in its place, you bring the seven more back with it. It gets worse the second time when you don't learn your lesson. But the prudent, the heart of the prudent, he gets knowledge. 
and he understands some things. He understands that the source of wisdom in this world doesn't come from anywhere but right here. That's it. That's the only place you can find true wisdom. And and so what does the wise man do? He he becomes a miner. And he goes to mining for truth in the Word of God regularly. Amen? He gets his little light of the Holy Spirit, and he gets in there in that dark cave of the Word of God. He starts pulling things out of there, riches he's finding in there. Amen? He gets off in the Word of God. There's all kinds of treasure in there once he digs into it. The wise desire more wisdom, and they know how to get it. You know, it's similar to how the the rich, when somebody gets rich, what do they do? They're constantly seeking to get richer. Why do they do that? Because they say, well, if I've got more things, I can, I can do more good or I can get more stuff. They see the benefit of having more. It'll gain them more and more and more. So it's kind of like that when it goes to wisdom because you start getting wisdom from God. You see the benefit of wisdom. You say, oh, wait, my life is so much easier now that I'm not making all these dumb decisions. I'm making wise decisions according to God's word, and he's blessing me because I'm walking in his steps and direction. He'd have me to go do the things he'd have me to do. And you say, man, if, if it's this good, how much better could it be if I got more of his wisdom? Sort of mining away in the word of God for more of it. Heart of prudent getteth knowledge. He said, man, i got to have that. You know, the difference is wisdom don't cost anything. Wisdom don't cost anything, and it doesn't hurt anybody in the process of getting it. Now, getting riches will. People stepping on people all over the place to get, rich, get, to get money. They'll take advantage of all kinds of people to get money, but getting wisdom's not like that. A wise man or a wise woman, they show the depth of their wisdom by having a desire to get more of it. Amen? Again, a fool ain't got no desire for wisdom. We've seen that over and over again. But when, when, you, know, you know what that tells me? When somebody comes to church and they hear truth, they say, you know what? I'm not going to stay home next Sunday. I'm going to be back next Sunday and get some more of that. You know what? If they're doing it on Sunday morning, might be passing out some wisdom on Sunday night, Brother Byron. I'm not ought to be up. I'm not ought to try coming on Wednesday night and see that preacher. If 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 he's saying things that's helping me on Sunday morning, maybe what he's saying on Sunday night might help me. And it just might be that Wednesday night might help me too. And if I came to Sunday school, good night and got all that, ain't no telling what God could do with all that wisdom if I put that all in me. Amen. That's how it works. And you start seeing when people latch on to wisdom because they keep showing up. Amen. <clears throat> You can't ever have too much of it. Nobody ever OD'd on wisdom. They never did. No. And the Bible says, the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. What that tells me is this. Those in search of wisdom, they have very little patience or time for foolishness. The ear, the ear of the wise seeketh wisdom. So if they hear a bunch of racket and foolishness and silliness, they won't get away from that. They're going to they fill their ears with that garbage. A wise person ain't going to waste their time sitting there watching television very much because it's garbage and they can tell it's garbage they're not going to spend all their time on worldly amusements a wise person is not going to waste hour upon hour upon hour doing silly things that have no benefit there's only so much time in this life to learn and to know god and god's ways and it shouldn't be wasted on foolish things it says the ears seeketh knowledge realize this these ears are funnels of the heart. Whatever you pour in this ear going down in your heart, whatever you pour in this ear going down in your heart, 
Amen? So a wise man will carefully fill his ears with truth and wisdom that, that he not only can use it for himself, but especially to store in his heart to be able to help somebody else when somebody else with a need comes across his path. All right, look at verse 16. It says, A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. His, his gift maketh room for him. Now, let me say this. We talked about man reaching into his bosom and bringing forth a gift and all that. That was talking about bribery, okay? But this is not the same Hebrew word used for bribery. This is a gift in more general sense. I want to make it clarification so you don't get the wrong idea about this gift here. All right? So a man's gift maketh room for him. It's the Hebrew word maton, and it means gift. It's more general than bribe, as we saw in chapter 17, verse 8, and verse 23. This proverb here is basically saying that a gift, basically saying it, it agrees some wheels. Not a bribe, but if you give somebody a gift, they're more apt to do something for you if you didn't give them a gift. So, it's not saying anything about bribing judges or anything like that. It's a simple recognition of a fact that generosity and politeness open doors. A whole lot better than gruffness and ugliness. Hollering and screaming and kicking at a door. I mean, look, you be polite. People open the door for you. Come on in here. We're glad to have you in here. So, again, that's what this is trying to say. You take, for example, uh, when Jacob instructed his sons when they were in a famine down in the land of Goshen. He had to send his sons up there to Egypt to try to get some grain so they weren't starving to death. And and even though they were in a great famine, Jacob told them to take a present to the governor of Egypt. And so in, in, in Genesis 43, verse 11, the Bible said, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so, now do this. If it must be so, you see. Take of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, and myrrh, nuts, and almonds. So they gathered up the best they had, a little bit of all that they had, and took that down to give to the governor of Egypt, who they didn't realize was really Joseph, but that's neither here nor there. But they did it because they knew they needed help, and so they were trying to open a door of generosity. Uh, just like Saul, we read about it in Sunday school. Remember, Saul was gone looking for his daddy's donkeys, right? And they're going, and they say, hey, let's go ask the man of God. Let's go ask Samuel. And Samuel, he might know where they're at. And so they're going up there, and Samuel, in 1 Samuel 9, 7, Saul said to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring to the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? So again, he saw the, the benefit of bringing a gift, and he would be more likely to get help if he brought a gift. You know, and again, this, this, this can also be used uh, in the, in the uh, example of a, a gift to reconcile something, to make things right. Uh, I think about when... Jacob went to meet Esau after, you know, he after he tricked him and all that stuff and stole his birthright and they'd been apart all those years and he'd worked for Laban. And now he's now he's going to meet with Esau after all that time. And if you remember the story, he uh, he, he, he provided a lot of gifts because he was afraid he was going to get killed. He thought, oh, Esau going to show up and he's going to hack me to pieces. So in, in Genesis 32, I'm going to read you verses 14 through 20. It's a little lengthy, but it'll be all right. 200 she-goats 
and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels, that's milk camels, and their colts, 40 kine, that's 40 cattle, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by themselves, and he said with his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. So the, the, the she-goats, they go with these people, and then the he-goats go with them people and put a space between y'all. So he's going to receive wave after wave after wave after wave of gifts as he's coming to meet him. All right? And he commanded the foremost, the one up front, he said, when Esau, my brother, meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose are thou? Whose art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then shalt thou say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so command he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him, and say, Moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. And for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. I hope he don't kill me. That's what he's saying. I hope he'll take all these gifts and say, boy, he sure is trying to butter me up. I don't. I guess I better not kill him. Again, he's trying to right the wrong that had been done. So he's trying to give him so much stuff that he'll realize how sorry he is. And the Bible says that a gift will bring you before great men. Uh, and it's true that a gift can be effective in gaining an audience of even great men. And I don't know why I thought of this, but I remember the story that I'd read. And I think you actually have the book, Richard, that one I loaned you on Baptist, uh, colonial Baptist history. But in that book, it talks about the big cheese. I don't know if y'all ever heard about the big cheese, Thomas Jefferson and the big cheese. Y'all ever heard of that? Well, I'll read you the story. The Cheshire Mammoth Cheese was a gift from the town of Cheshire, Massachusetts, to President Thomas Jefferson in 1802. The 1,235-pound cheese was created by combining the milk from every cow in the town and made in a makeshift cheese press to handle the cheese's size. The cheese bore the Jeffersonian motto, Rebellion to Tyrants. Rebellion to Tyrants is obedience to God. Now, a beleaguered minority in Calvinist New England, it says, the Baptists were perhaps the strongest advocates in the early republic of the separation of church and state. Yes, that's true, because Baptists were the ones who would not agree to take licenses to preach and wouldn't pay taxes to the ministers who from other denominations, and they demanded that they preach what they wanted to preach, and nobody was going to tell them no different. They were the only one amongst all the other so-called Christians who came to the new world who believed in standing up and preaching on the authority of the word of God without somebody over them. So the one pastor in Cheshire, Elder John Leland, y'all remember that name, John Leland, he had met Jefferson during his time in Virginia, and the two grew to have a friendly relationship. Now, during the 1788 and 89 election, while he was still living in Virginia, John Leland threw his support behind James Madison. I know you know that name. Due to Madison's support for religious liberty in what became the First Amendment to the Constitution. And Madison was seated in the First Congress that year. 
I'll tell you, I know the story. John Leland, he was the leader of the Baptists in Virginia, and the Constitutional, Constitutional Congress was meeting, and they didn't have Virginia's support. And in order to get, in order for him to, to pass the other things he wanted to pass, he had to have Virginia's support, Madison did. And so he knew if he got with Leland, they could hammer out some agreement. And so they worked it out, and he said, listen, we're not going to agree to anything unless we have freedom of speech and we're able to have religious liberty, and nobody's going to tell us what to preach, when to preach, or where to preach, or how to preach. Amen? Because they got soul liberty. Amen? He believed in the priesthood of the believer. Baptist distinctives. Jeff and, and Madison agreed with him, and that's why we have the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. That's why we have freedom of speech. It is a Baptist principle. Um, but anyway, let me keep going about this big cheese. So he, he got behind Madison, and, and, and Madison got elected to Congress, and, and, and Leland remembered this uh, as he served in Cheshire, Massachusetts, and he campaigned strongly for, for Thomas Jefferson. And Leland, believing that his efforts had helped Jefferson win the presidency, he encouraged the townspeople to make a unique gesture to Jefferson. He urged each member of his congregation who owned a cow to bring every quart of milk given on a given day or all the curd it would make to a great cider mill. Leland also insisted that no federal cow, which is a cow owned by a Federalist farmer, would be allowed to offer any milk, lest it should leaven the whole lump with a distasteful savor, he said. The cheese itself was produced solely by the persons and labor of freeborn farmers of Cheshire, Berkshire County. As stated in a letter for Reverend John Leland to President Thomas Jefferson, the cheese was made, quote, without the assistance of a single slave, end quote. The final product weighed 1,235 pounds. It was four feet wide and 15 inches thick. Due to its size, it could not safely be transported on wheels, so the town hired a sleigh to bring it to a barge on the Hudson River for the start of its trip to Washington, D.C. After floating down the Hudson River to New York City, the mammoth cheese was loaded on the sloop Astria and taken to Baltimore, Maryland, where it was loaded onto a horse-drawn wagon for the trip to Washington. The three-week, 500-mile journey from Cheshire to Washington became an event from town to town as word spread about the gift. The cheese was eventually presented to Jefferson on January 1st, 1802. Leland considered the cheese an act of profound respect to the popular ratification of his election. Although the gift would draw criticism of Jefferson and the people of Cheshire, Jefferson praised the act as extraordinary proof of the skill with which the domestic arts is practiced by the citizens of Cheshire. The president then cut a piece of the cheese to present to the town, and it was widely considered the greatest cheese presented at the White House. Jefferson, who opposed the gift, giving custom on principle, gave a $200 donation to Leland's congregation as a gesture of gratitude. And I can't imagine how much $200 was in 1789 or, seven, or eight, 1802. That was a lot of money. Uh, and, and the cheese remained at the White House for over two years having been featured at a public dinner for an Independent Day's celebration in 1803. So anyway, again, I read all that to say the big cheese, it got the president's attention pretty good. Amen? So again, a gift, you can get a hold of somebody influential. Amen? Uh, so again, it pays to be generous. It pays to be a giver. Amen? And we're grateful. Thank God we're grateful 
that no gift is required to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank God we don't have to bring him something. He offers his work as our mediator without any cost. Amen? It costs him everything, but it don't cost us a penny. First Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Our welcome is free. It doesn't cost us anything. The door of access to him is open, wide open forever. Amen? The treasury of grace in his unchanging favor is unreachable and unfathomable. Hallelujah. Thank God it's free. Amen? Free grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17. I'll try to hurry and get us done here real quick. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. So he that's first in his own cause seemeth just. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you got to help me. This and such happened. When we first hear the first side of a dispute or a debate between people, we all we, we tend to think that the, the first one to plead his cause, he seems like the right one because he came to me with his problem. And so we're quick to take their side over the other person. You know, again, somebody comes up, hey, listen, we had, there was a terrible fight. Help me, help me. You, know, you don't know that might be the one who got the fight started. And they're just trying to get in your house. Again, when you first hear a matter, you we have a tendency to believe that person. But the Bible says, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. See, things can change real quick when the other side tells their story. Now, hey, this don't sound right. It ain't adding up here. So there's always two sides to every story, and the truth lies somewhere in between. I'll give you an example. When the two women came to Solomon, both of them had a baby. But one of them had rolled over in the night and laid on top of hers and suffocated her baby and woke up and the baby was dead. And when she woke up and saw her baby was dead, she claimed that the other baby was her baby. And the woman said, no, that's my baby. That's your baby. That's her dad. And they argued and took it before Solomon. And Solomon thought about it. And in his wisdom, he said, we'll fix this. Get the sword. We'll divide the baby in half. And both of you can take a half of it. And the mother of the baby screamed out and said, no, let her take it. Give her the baby. Amen. You first you heard this I mean when it first came in, it was the other woman hollering, That's my baby. But when it got searched out, the truth came out. Verse eighteen, we're almost done. The Lord causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. The lot. Kind of like rolling dice, flipping a coin. Uh rock, paper, scissors. There's all kinds of ways to choose something. But that's really what this is referring to. Because when there was an argument or a dispute, people can't figure something out, appealing to an outside authority to solve the matter can at least get everybody to hush. So in this case, the outside authority was casting of lots, which I don't really don't know what it was. Maybe I think it was some sticks or something that had numbers on Side, I think of a number two pencil with all the different sides. I think maybe it had numbers on it. You throw them down and whatever was on top. I don't know. I've never seen lots. But but it was something of that nature. Uh, I, I know that, you know, the, the Urim and the Thummim were something that the new, that the Old Testament priests would consult to get an answer from God. Uh, it's not that God wants us to be around here rolling dice trying to figure out stuff. We don't need to bring a magic eight ball into church and shake it and see what God has said. We don't want to get far out like that. But what this is saying, and, I, and I'll try to make sense of it, because you've got to remember, too, this is in the Old Testament. This is not New Testament doctrine. This is truths 
but this is not, hey, we're going to live by this now in the New Testament era. But this is showing us that sometimes there must be a mediator. That's what we're trying to get down to in this truth. That, that again, in, in this instant, you've got two people that can't agree on something, they're battling over something, and somebody says, well, hey, you ain't ever going to agree that this one's right, and you ain't ever going to agree that this one's right. Let's just flip a coin, and, and, and whoever wins, you win. As it is, all right, it's you. I mean, that's basically settling something, whether whether you've got it doing it that way or you got somebody sitting there and hearing both sides of the story, and when they finally figure it out, they say, okay, I'm going to grant the win to this side. Either way, you use something else to, to get people to, to, let, to let an issue lie. And so it says, and it parteth between the mighty. So when an outside authority settles a contention, and a lot of times, again, in, in a court case, that they go, it goes to mediation, which means you're going to sit down in a room and you're going to hammer this thing out and you're going to come to an agreement and somebody else is going to help you decide what, what y'all are going to figure out and how it's going to be, an impartial party. So an outside authority settles a contention and it can, keep, it can keep people from fighting, it can keep warriors off the battlefield, and it can keep people from fighting and killing one another, praise God. And I think about what, and I'm going to close this thought, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed, it's a blessed thing when you can, when you know, when God can use you to be a mediator to solve somebody's dispute. And I've had to do that. I had, a, I, I can remember it. I, I don't even know if this guy's still alive. I don't call his name, but, but it's some people that I knew over the years. And after I got into the ministry, I witnessed to them. I, they come to our church, and I. End up leading some of them, leading her children to the Lord and and baptizing her children, but but it's just a couple and and they both they both had a drinking problem, a man and a woman. And I remember two in the morning one night, he was banging on my door, and I looked through the peephole and he was standing out there and he had blood all over his hands, and and uh, they'd been in fighting down there and she hit him in the head with a hammer, he was bleeding out his ear. And, and, you know, how do you give somebody advice at that point at 2 o'clock in the morning? You know what? God put me in some strange situations. Amen? He put me in an Easter Sunday service one Sunday when it were, where, where a husband freaked out and rammed his truck into an oak tree in front of the whole congregation because he was upset. over. I, that's, that's a long story. I ain't got time to tell you. But it involved homosexuality and, and, and all kinds of things. Uh, horrible situation. But... But I've seen people do some terrible things, and I've had to get in the middle of it and try to mediate the situation. And while it's never pleasant, when it's all said and done and people ain't fighting and people ain't trying to hurt one another, it's blessed because you know at least their situation's solved. And and that ain't always the most pleasant situation to be in. But God sometimes will put you in that because you know him, and somebody else may not. And you may be the voice that they need to hear in that hour to give them some wisdom and to teach them the way of God instead of the way of the flesh. So, again, what do we learn from this? Not to roll dice every time we've got a problem, but we learn that, that people need a mediator. People need some way to mediate their problems. And, and going to God and seeking God's will is the best way to mediate a problem. You know, because if God if, if, if God's in it, if God's on your side, who can be against you? Amen? But if you try to handle it in your flesh, it's only going to lead to more disaster.
So anyway, let's stand together. I went five minutes over. We'll try to we'll try to get out of here as soon as we can. Amen. But it's been good to be with you tonight. I hope something hope something was said tonight was a blessing to you, helped you in some way. Maybe it was something you thought, well, somebody else in my life needs that. And I can take that and help them. But do that. Don't let it just end with you. You know, you, you heard people say, pay it forward. Well, how you can do that as far as church goes is when you when you get something good, don't just sit on it. Take it and share that thought with somebody else. Pass it on. I guarantee you. I, we do that with everything else, don't we? If we, if we, we see something funny, we want to forward that to somebody else. We, we, we see something interesting, we want to forward that to somebody else. Well, when we get something good out of the Bible, we want to, want to forward that to somebody else too because they need that more than they need a joke. Amen? Speaking of joke, I'm going to leave you on this one, okay? I'm going to leave you with something funny, okay? What does a polygamist hippie, how does he number his wives? One Mrs. Hippie, two Mrs. Hippie, three Mrs. Hippie, four Mrs. Hippie. Amen. All right. Let's go, Lord, pray. Let's ask God bless you as we get out of here. Brother Byron, this is Lord, pray. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat>